You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. There are only 11 snooker players who have won the career triple crown of World Championship, UK Championship and Masters. I'm prepared to bet though that there's only one who's been able to combine that with a 147 break, of which he's had six, a nine darter and a hole in one. My guest this week is that man. Not only is Sean Murphy one of the biggest stars on the Green Bays, he's a talented golfer to boot, boasting a scratch handicap and a game good enough to get him into Open Championship qualifying. He's also a committed philanthropist, his charitable exploits having raised huge sums over the course of his career for a number of good causes. In a wide-ranging chat on From the Clubhouse, we talk about his love of holding putts, his favourite courses, and whether he's planning another crack at Claret Jug qualification as we get ready for the 150th Open at the home of golf. Very pleased uh, today to welcome one of snooker's all-time greats. Only 11 players who have won the Triple Crown of World Championship, UK Championship and the Masters. And my guest today, Sean Murphy, is one of them. And he's a mean golfer as well. So welcome, Sean. Hey, Steve. Great to be on. Thank you. How's the season going for you so far? Ah, Listen, it wouldn't be, uh, it would be fair to say it hasn't been my best season so far. Um, it's been a tough season, you know, with a few injuries and, um, you know, the, the coinciding with playing a lot of people who've played particularly well on their day. And, you know, snooker is a kind of almost unique in that regard, you know, in terms of you can play as well and be as well prepared as you want. But if your opponent plays their best or near their best, um, because we have to play from where the cue ball is left by their by your opponent, um, sometimes you can play as well as you want and not win. Um, you know, one of the one of the differences between snooker and golf, I guess, is that you know in golf, obviously you hit the ball and you go and find it and you hit it again. Um, whereas in snooker, that's not quite the same thing. Your 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 last shot could be the last shot of the game, and that's uh, that's one of the difficult things to to get on board with in snooker. Yeah, the very highest level of snooker, sorry, of golf, you've obviously got a caddy giving you a pep talk after every shot as well. And you're on your own, aren't you, in front of a big audience a lot of the time? Well, it's funny you should say that because a couple of years ago, I actually um, uh, sort of half-jokingly replied to a a Sky Sports golf tweet uh, that they put out from their account about, um, did I reply to it? or any? I, I, might, I might have even started it. But I, I basically made the point that, in my opinion, snooker is the toughest single-player sport in the world. Um, obviously, notwithstanding, you know, boxing and things like that. You know, that's obviously, obviously in a league of its own. But in terms of, you know, sports where you don't end up with serious injuries, um, I think snooker's right up there. And, of course, the golf world, went mad um but i did make the point semi semi seriously that the caddy plays a massive part certainly in professional golf at the elite level 
you know, we're playing in our Saturday medals and, you know, little comps here or there. We obviously don't have anyone on the back, but that caddy, when you're watching the, the last Sunday, the last back, the back nine of a tournament from the States or, you know, the DP World Tour or whatever it might be, that caddy plays almost as an important role as the player. And of course, I've always been amazed at why golfers don't employ their, you know, their, their psychologist or their, you know, um, sort of a mental uh, guru or a, or a mentor, you know, on the bag. Because um, I'm sure they know, you know, what their numbers are and they probably don't need to be told to, right, keep this one low and check it on the second. They probably don't need telling that. But um, I think Jason Day did it a few years ago when he burst onto the scene and had a lot of success with it. I've always been surprised that more don't do that because that caddy, that caddy can offer so much help that, as you say, coming full circle to answer your question, um, you know, in snooker, we don't have that. You're sat out there in the middle on your own, making every decision on your own. Uh, and you're having to deal with those demons in your head on your own, um, which is why, as I say, it was a bit tongue in cheek. Um, but I think snooker is probably the hardest single player sport in the world. You're a very good golfer. You're still off scratch. Still off scratch. Yeah, I did. I did uh, for a few weeks last summer. Managed to get under scratch and got to plus one point two, um, which you know was a very scary place to be. I didn't enjoy, <laughs> didn't enjoy it down there. I have to say, certainly, it's amazing what it was amazing what that 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 extra cup that shot and a bit you know made to the games. Because me and my mates we play for a few quid and. Um, you know, I don't win many of those games anyway, giving so many shots. Um, but that 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 other extra shot seemed to just shoot me in the foot. It, I didn't. I enjoyed it, but yeah, I was back, when I got back up to scratch, um, it felt a little bit better. Yeah, the, the reason I ask is because I, I wonder if um, I mean, obviously, you're a very good golfer, but you are an elite sportsman in terms of in terms of snooker, and you perform under unbelievable pressure in some of the oh, in the biggest events i mean does, has that helped you in golf that that kind of pressure that you feel and you have to deal with through your day job does it help you when you have a pressure put i mean i suppose a 10 foot put in a medal doesn't seem the same does it or does it well there's certainly been moments out on the golf course where you know where you've started to feel similar pressures to you know what i might feel you know backstage at the world championships or the uk's or the masters or you know stood over a big shot so I suppose, you know, snooker's, snooker's my career and um, the pressures that I've put on myself to perform in, 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 you know, in that are completely different to golf. Uh, usually when I play golf, it's for fun. Although if you watch some of my games, you wouldn't think there was much fun involved in it. Um, but I suppose, I suppose little things like, you know, those first tee nerves that we all read about and we've all experienced, I perhaps know a few little tricks of the trade and a few little ways to manage those emotions you know um when you stood on the first tee there might be a few people watching i've been lucky to play in a few sort of pro-am things and and, and you know events like that where you're actually playing with these guys and you know there might be a, a crowd or two uh, and i suppose you know i've got a few little tricks up my sleeve to to get me through those moments which i use you know as i say at the crucible or the masters or whatever when I'm when I'm actually playing doing what I do for a living but you know at the end of the day um you know it's 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 not usually the uh, the old heart or the mind that lets me down in golf it's just plain old ability that gets in the way 
you um you had a go uh, three years ago, obviously before COVID, at uh, the Open Championship. Um, you played regional qualifying at um, at County Louth. I mean, just give me a sense of that experience um, and how that was for you, because uh, you, you'd said I think previously, and I think you said afterwards that it was a bucket list thing for you. It was once you got down to scratch and you realised you could do it, you really did want to do it. Well, it was just one of my friends said, "Oh, now you know, you know, you're off scratch now. Now you can enter open qualifying." And I just didn't believe it, so I, you know, went on the the, the website there and checked the you know the, the the entry rules and stuff. And um, over the last few years, you know, I sort of half know um, a couple of the guys on YouTube quite well, you Rick Shields and Peter Finch and people like that. You know, I would know them with, from the same neck of the woods and uh, Matt Fryer and a few others. Uh, and of course, Rick and Pete have done the, you know, the, the 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 vlogs for qualifying for the Open, you know, quest for the Opens and stuff. And that really got the juices flowing. I thought, you know, if that's if that's right, that you know, I can have a go in that. Um, why wouldn't I? You know, I've got to. Uh, so I sent my application off and was allowed to enter. And off my my friend uh, Robert Murphy, who's uh, no relation, but he is Ireland's probably most decorated amateur snooker player. Um, he came and caddied for me for the day and, you know, we had a great day out. Now, we were complete imposters, uh, you know, in a world we should never have been in. Um, but we were permitted to enter and and we did. And, of course, you know, it's called The Open. And, of course, it's open to everyone. So um, I was thrilled to be there, thrilled to take part. Um, and it was a it was a great experience. You'd caddied before, hadn't you, I think, for a, for a friend. So you'd, you'd had an experience of final qualifying as well, hadn't you, previously? Yeah, a mate of mine, Graham Neville, got through to final qualifying uh, down on the south coast probably about 10 years ago, maybe a bit more. And so I went with him. We had two or three days down there, walked the course, did the practice rounds, uh, and then obviously 36 holes on the day. And it was funny because he birdied the first hole. And I said to him, as we walked to the second tee, I said to him, oh, you know, if it... If it stays like it is now, you're in. And then, like, we both fell apart. <laughs> we, you know, we both we both succumbed to the nerves. But it was so strong. You know, you were on the practice ground, and Michael Campbell was there ripping balls, like, you know, former US Open winner. And, uh, you know, watching him watching him stripe it um, was just in a different league. But um, I think that was probably where my, my, you know, first thoughts of, you know, could I ever... I'm obviously never going to qualify for the Open. Like, let's just put that out there. Obviously, never going to do it. But you know, I thought if I have if I have one of my best days, like I might get through. I might get through regional qualifying. You know, it's not beyond me. Um, as it is, uh, it was it was the hardest day's golf I've ever experienced. We had a, a weather delay. We were off the course for two hours. Like it properly rained, um, and uh, yeah. As I say, it wasn't the it wasn't the heart or the mind that let me down. It was just my skill. Yeah, it's the 150th Open this year at St Andrews. Do you fancy having another go at it? I mean, you know, obviously the last few years we've all lost, you know, um, opportunities to do things in the last two years to to the pandemic. And um, you know, if my diary if my diary allows it, um, and you know, I'm still eligible, still still off scratch, and still able to play. Um, then yeah, you know why not? Um, but but as I say, you know the the chances of me getting through are extremely slim. But stranger things have happened. Yeah, have you played the old course before? No, never. No, I I, I have I have been there, and um, I was there once, and 
I was actually I was actually up there and I had my son in the car who was asleep. I was driving the car. You know, parents, we've all done that thing where you'll do anything to get your, your child to sleep. He was having a, a nap during the middle of the day and was in the car. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the trick is to keep moving, isn't it, when you've got kids asleep in the car? But I found myself on that little road that goes up by the 18th hole and um, just parked up for five, ten minutes and watched a few groups. I gazed longingly at the 18th green and the first, and I just thought, oh, I'd love to be out there. But no, that's the closest I've come. Um, that's the closest I've come to playing that hallow turf. Well, who knows? Maybe maybe 2022 and uh, the Open. I mean, you say <laughs> stranger things have happened. People have done it before. Um, and that, and that, and as you said, that that is the thing with the Open. It is open, so everyone has a chance, don't they? Absolutely. And, you know, it's great. Um, you know, it's fantastic that, it, you know, as long as you meet the qualifying criteria, um, you can have a go. And, uh, yeah, it's great. One of those old old events that was open to everyone uh, is still open to those eligible. So it was great. Yeah, I, I implore listeners to have a look at a video on YouTube um, from World Snooker Review playing nine holes at Stanton. Um, where yeah. and, and they'll get a sense there of just how good a golfer you are actually uh, compared to the average club hacker like me. I mean, I thought you, after about three or four holes, I thought you were going to birdie every hole of the nine. Um, <laughs> it, it's a tremendous video, but what I wanted to do with that is just to set the scene and come back a little bit. I mean, how did you find golf? Um, was it always snooker uh, and, and golf, or are you one of these people that's good at any sport they play? Did you open the batting and all that kind of stuff for the school? Uh, no, but I, I, you know, I think you do find that you know people who are good at sport, particularly ball sports, they, you know, they they have a natural affinity for anything else. So, like, I'm a decent tennis player as well, and um, you know, a few other sports. But like, golf was always part of my life growing up. My father was a golf professional in his very young life, uh, and worked out of a course in Manchester, and had dreams of being a, a professional and touring pro and all the rest of it and had to give that up and, and went off and had a career in the motor track. But, um, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a result, like he always played golf. There was always a set of clubs lying around and we might have the odd little chipping comp in the garden or whatever. And it was that kind of thing. But snooker, when I, when I, I got a snooker table for Christmas uh, when I was eight years of age and that, that began my love affair with snooker. Uh, there, there was never really a point where I had to choose between the two. You know, I didn't really take golf up properly uh, until my mid-teens. And of course, by then I was well on the way to turning pro at snooker. So there was there was never a, there was a couple of hairy moments where, you know, when you got when I got my first car and I could, you know, I could get to the end of the road. I could either turn left to the snooker club or turn right to the golf club and. There was a there was a there was a summer in you know the late nineties maybe ninety nine two thousand where I really ought to have been playing more snooker and I was actually at the golf practicing my wedges and my handicap was tumbling down and um, you know the golf was great but I think I dropped off tour that year on the snooker I think I was on and off the tour you know and um, I wouldn't blame golf but I was definitely a better wedge player than I was snooker player at the time so yeah well we you know there was a few conversations had about you know, because everyone who plays golf, everyone listening to this knows that, you know, the golf bug is real. And when it bites, like, that's your, you're finished then, aren't you? And, and you know, I'm, I was no different. So I remember one particular time my dad rang me and uh, he, he thought I was at the snooker club practicing. And he said, um, 
how's the snooker practice going? I said, yeah, it's going really well. He's, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on this and working on my long hours. He said, oh, that's great. He said, um, it's just that I'm in the snooker club and you're not. <laughs> where, where are you? I was like, um, yeah, uh, well, what happened was uh, <laughs> Jason, Jason and I decided to go golfing and yeah, my mate Jason and I, we were like, do a bit of snooker practice. And then if it's, if it's not raining, we're going, you know, we just got and play 36, 54 in a day sometimes, you know, we loved it. But yeah, they were great days. Yeah, I, I suppose that uh, you have, it has to be even now a balance um, because snooker is your job and 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 it's it's what pays your bills. And obviously you've got to dedicate a, an amount of time to that. And golf takes time. Um, you know, even if you go and play a few holes, you know, it's an hour, isn't it? You know, 18 holes, 18 holes during the day can be three, can be four hours. I mean, how, how do you balance those two things? Because obviously golf is something that you're clearly very competitive at and you enjoy it as a sport and you're obviously good at it. But snooker's your job and you've got to button down like everyone else has to in a job. Yeah, I mean, it, I suppose ultimately it ends up being quite a simple decision. You know, you either you either dedicate time to your career uh, or you dedicate it to your hobbies. And, and, you know, I don't know many people who are in that position who can, you know, dedicate more time to their hobbies than they can their, their work life. And I'm certainly not one of them. I have to do five, six hours a day practice at the snooker um, to keep to keep competitive. Although I'm not, I haven't been that competitive this year. I'm still putting the work in. And, um, you know, as a result, you know, I wouldn't have played golf properly now for, you know, getting on for maybe three or four months. Since I, since the clubs were out, so you know they will come out, but it you know snooker, snooker really has always come first um, for me, uh, and um, you know I, I'm sure it will be for, for for some time, but mainly just through a time aspect. You know I just don't have the time. I have two young children, I'm on tour, I'm running my business. You know I'm into some other things other than just playing snooker, um, and. Um, you know, it would be because, as you rightly say, it's not just the round of golf, which might be three and a half or four and a bit hours, depending on who you're following. But it's the driving there. It's the driving back. It's the you might have a drink after or before or lunch or whatever. Um, it's very hard to find the time, isn't it, to to do all of those things and then to go practice it. No, I, I'm going to do all this and I'm going to go and chip for two hours or I'm going to hit wedges for two hours or. like I just haven't got the time for that anymore. And. Uh, if truth be told, I probably never did. Yeah, because I, I think you, uh, more than a lot of people, will understand what it takes to get proficient at something. Um, because obviously, you know, you've had to dedicate yourself to snooker and the and the sacrifices that you've made there. And it's no real, it's no really any different with golf, is it? And if you want to play really high level golf, you've got to put in the same sort of hours, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. And and. You know, one of the one of the one of the unfortunate similarities between snooker and golf is that, you know, for for young young people chasing that dream, trying to get on tour and having to go through all the qualifiers they do, they become pros and they're hitting they're hitting ball after ball after ball on the range and they're practicing and they're out there in all weathers. Of course, that's one of the things with snooker. We're indoors. It's much more pleasant hitting four hours of balls in the snooker room. I can tell you than being out there on the range. Um, but you can do all of that and you still might not make it. You can you can you can hit balls till your hands bleed and you still might not make it. And it's and it's that element of it that's just soul destroying. And I think, you know, the, the, the people who come through that, 
you know they're they're made of they're made of different stuff you know people who make it to the tour even people who make it to tour and don't win you know even people who have long very consistent years on tour but don't actually win they're made of something different than the average player you know because they they've stood there and when their mates have all been going out they've said no I'm going to hit one more bucket I'm going to do another hour one more hour one more this one more that um and you know that that really is the difference but you know all that said you know, you still need a little bit of luck on the on the way. You still need to be right place, right time. You need a sponsor. You need help. You need financial security. You need to be able to go and practice and play without a care in the world. Of course, that that's very hard to come by, isn't it? You know, in in my own situation, but for the generosity of a sponsor in where I grew up in Northamptonshire, uh, but for the generosity of the the family who owned Doc Martins, the Griggs family. Who, who were from the same neck of the woods, who sponsored me from being 12 to 16. But for their help, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you now. You know, despite all the hours of practice, sacrifice, travel, effort, and all the rest of it, you do need a bit of luck along the way. And, um, you know, that's why, as I say again, you know, certainly golf and snooker, you know, they're right up there amongst the hardest games in the world. Yeah, I think a lot of people will um, will hear that story and will will recognise that and will empathise with it as well. I understand that you're you must. I can't think of anyone else who's got this triumvirate of successes. So I, I hear you've had a one one four seven in snooker. Obviously, many one four sevens, a hole in one in golf at Worthington on the seventh, and a nine darter. Is that true? That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And um, currently. I think it's a club of one. Don't know anyone else who's done all three. Uh, we did it. It was a bit of a funny like Twitter poll because there's a um, the former pro dart player Wayne Mardle is a good friend of mine and he's a commentator for Sky now on the darts. And um, we, you know, we we played golf together and had a bit of banter and stuff. And we always have the crack about what's harder: is it the nine darter or is it the one four seven? Now, obviously, it's the one four seven. Anyone who says nine darter needs to go and see, see a doctor immediately. Um, but we, we, we have that bit of bounce, you know, quite often. And uh, just recently, the last time we did it, I think the hole-in-one got thrown in. And then it was like, well, hang on a minute. I think, I mean, I've done all three. Um, uh, I've only had one hole-in-one and I've only had one nine data. But, uh, you know, I'm, as, as, it, as I sit here talking to you, I'm not aware of anyone else who's done all three. Um, people can send their applications in anywhere they want there's lots of room to join the club it's an incredible achievement and your hole in one was at a proper course as well was it the seventh at whirling i mean tell me about it yeah it was yeah it was it was, it was actually down there uh, down in that neck of the woods doing a charity snooker night um and uh we were we were just you know it's always nice when you're in these parts of the world you're working at night obviously a lot of snookers at night that would leave a lot of mornings and day free so we you know, we hooked up with a local businessman and a, and, a, and a sponsor for the event. And my old manager and I, we got up bright and early and we went and played the golf. It was a lovely track. We were in that part of the world, as I say, working. And um, it was just a nice way to spend the morning. We got round to, I think it was the seventh and um, couldn't couldn't see. It was quite misty still at that time and uh, hit good shots. Didn't get to see the ball go in the hole, got to the green, couldn't find it, checked the hole. And there it was. So I've been close on a, you know, close on a few occasions since, but never actually got one in. Well, I'm sure you've got plenty of time to get some more. And we'll we'll come back to golf in um, 
in in a, in a little while but i want to talk about um some of the your some of your charity work because you're well known for that as well I mean, it's not unusual for um for sports people to um to try and help their communities um but but you do it i think um on another level and have have done it for a long time i mean i'm just i'm not sure how good a, a guide wikipedia is so perhaps you can fill me in if if if, if it's got it wrong but i'm just listing some of the things you've Are done you are you suggesting there might be some untruths on Wikipedia still? I, I I would not be suggesting that, but 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 I I, I like to I like to um to to get the truth from the source. But I mean, just going back to the you know saying that you donated work in Zimbabwe. I mean, I think um it's well known that you uh, donated a proportion of your earnings from the World Championship the year you won to to charity. Well known as well for being a patron of the. Royal Man Manchester Children's Hospital. Um, I think I think there you've donated a certain sum. Was it hundred pound for every century you made over a season? Um, most recently, you've um, you've had a fitness challenge uh, with with an old pal of mine in York, um, Snooker's Biggest Loser for Kitchen for Everyone. I mean, what makes you? Um, what motivates you to take on these causes and to serve them as well as you do? Do you know the 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 uh, the funny one was the. Um the uh the one with rmch the the royal manchester children's hospital um i did it for a number of years and i actually got the idea watching golf i was watching uh some golf from the states one saturday sunday night and um the commentator made the point there's phil mickelson that's another that's another 500 dollars for do you know i think it might have been like army widows or something in the states it was something like that and it you know apparently he's been doing it for a long time every time he makes a birdie he gives 500 dollars to to the charity or something like that and i was sort of you know that's great you know obviously there's a massive financial discrepancy between golf and snooker you know snooker players you know wouldn't be able to donate that type of money all the time uh and uh, i was just thinking oh and i just thought oh, well you know if i could probably afford you know every time i make a hundred break um putting a hundred pounds aside um because you might make you know in a good season you know you might make anything between sort of 40 and 65 or 70 tons a year you know so we're not talking about you know bank breaking money over over a period of a year um and of course some of the players have made you know a lot more than that neil robertson made 100 centuries in a year a few seasons ago like no one's done that since but um yeah i just thought you know it's nice and it gives interest through the season and stuff i did that for i think three or four years and you know used to go and and and, and do the whole check thing and stuff but you know the rmch was special for me because we had a, a family member who spent the first few years of her life you know in the care of the, the the nurses and doctors there so you know that was the wanted to just to try to do something just to you know highlight what they do and the great work that's done there and of course they're just one of many charities and hospitals like that um and then yeah last year we did myself and phil your friend we we, we did the uh we did like a charity weight loss thing and we wanted to do it and we picked a couple of partners kitchen for everyone in york was one of them uh and um uh, the jesse may trust uh, which are world snooker's official charity partner were the other and um yeah that was just that was that was more that we wanted to try and do something to urge us both to lose a bit of weight and get a bit fitter uh, and then hopefully you know the charities could could have some cash off the back of it we could raise their profile and try to get the, the work that they're doing out there a little bit more you know across our social medias and stuff i could probably do with doing another challenge if i'm honest now um 
<laughs> I, I, I want the pandemic to continue because otherwise I've got nothing to blame my weight gain on otherwise. <laughs> but uh, no, in all, in, in all seriousness, like, you know, it's, um, I think, I think uh, there are a lot of players, certainly in snooker and obviously in golf and across the world in different sports who do a lot of stuff for charity um, that, that, that often doesn't get picked up by the press. Uh, and, um, you know, there's quite a lot of it going on behind closed doors. Yeah. Do these have to be, I mean, obviously in the in the case of the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital, it was a cause that was close to your heart, um, you know, literally. Um, does does it have to be a, a cause that, that you can identify with or how, when, when, you, when you're approached by someone, how do you go about um, deciding how you're going to represent them or not? I didn't word that. Yeah, I think that's the point. No, but I, I know I know what you mean. I think you know if if I if I gave or helped or donated to every charity that I'm asked to, um, you know, one you'd run out of money, uh, and, and and two you'd be doing something every day somewhere in the country or across the world. So you have to you do have to be, you know, selective. Uh, you know, not in a position to help everyone all of the time, um, and I think you have to be selective. And you, I suppose, you're waiting for that that moment where that particular charity story or somebody you know they might have a connection with um, lands with you and connects with you and, 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 and hits you emotionally and I think once that happens you know then you're in uh, and um, you know the, the Zimbabwe thing was a thing that you know I used to be um, very involved in the church I'm no longer you know involved in church at all or religion of any kind but you know at one point in my life I was uh, and the connection to, you know, a family of people I know out in Zim uh, who, you know, who I still support. I still uh, support uh, the work they do. I still, you know, love them as people. Uh, we don't have the same beliefs anymore, but, you know, I still value what they do. They do a great job out there with, you know, um, you know, with children in Zim who haven't got a home and they don't have families. And these these people, you know, house them and educate them and feed them and they do an amazing job out there. So, you know, I, I went out there quite a few years ago now um, to try and, you know, support them. And we did some snooker exhibitions and raised raised quite a bit of money for them at the time. Um, and yeah, I just think it's important that if, you, if you're in a position, <clears throat> if you're in that fortunate position where you are able to give something back and help others, um, you know, it's nice to do what you can when you can. Yeah, I'm sure this wasn't the reason why you did it, but you will have gained, I mean, particularly when you were in Zimbabwe, you'll have gained some tremendous life experiences from from that as well. Yeah, and I suppose really, like, without being too twee about it, you know, the, the village I grew up in, in Earthlingborough in Northamptonshire, that was that's where I grew up my first sort of 20 years of my life uh, in the Midlands there. Um, there wouldn't be many people there get to go to places like Zimbabwe and Harare and you know, all the other places I've been to that snooker has taken me to. And um, I've been very lucky with that. Like, you know, I've been very lucky to see some amazing parts of the world. And they talk about those sunsets in Africa. Like, they are, you know, they are different. And, uh, um, you know, I never forget someone said, oh, you can't believe how quickly it goes dark in Zimbabwe. You know, once you're in the different hemisphere and, and all the rest of it. Like, you know, just when it, when it goes dark at night, it goes dark instantly. Uh, and... Uh, you know, seeing it for myself was was amazing. Uh, it was just a great experience, one I remember, you know, very very fondly. Yeah, are you um, are you helping anyone particularly at the moment? 
Well, I'm still a patron of, of the RMCH. I'm still a, I'm still associated with them. Uh, and, um, you know, the last few years, um, you know, since moving to Dublin, um, I've been really sort of trying to work out where I see myself in Dublin. It's looking for it's looking for that charity partner or that 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 charity to get involved with that, that you're passionate about. Um, of course, every charity has a story. The, the one thing I'm very, very passionate about, which I think is where my future charitable work may may lie, is, you know, with, with homeless people uh, and with, with, you know, you see people on the streets and, um, you know, there, there simply isn't enough being done um, to fix that uh, element of, you know, modern 21st century day life. You know, the, the fact that we still have people living on the streets um, I think it's a real smear on on us as a generation, and and something that I'm sure generations of the future will probably look back at us and 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 you know wonder why that wasn't fixed. So that's something I'm quite passionate about. I don't know much about it. I'm not I'm not an expert on it by any stretch, but I I know when I walk around Dublin or or any capital city or any town or city for that matter, you know when you see people living on most most people haven't chosen to be there you know i know that i know there's some horror stories and there's a few con artists out there and we've all we've all had that feeling where somebody asks you for money and you're not sure whether it's genuine or not i understand there are a few players out there but the vast majority of people haven't asked or decided to be in that situation um and i just think there's there's a lot more that we could do so that's probably where my future uh, charitable work's going to be yeah, I look forward to seeing your endeavours there. Turning back to golf, um, obviously you're in uh, you're based in Dublin now. Um, Ireland's home to some of the really really great golf courses. Um, have you been able to tick off anywhere particularly good um, on the Emerald Isle? Have you been to Have you been to County Down yet and Port Rush and those kind of places? Yeah, I, I've not made it as far as Port Rush. Um, I think it was uh, Mark Allen and I were going to go and play it because uh, he's a decent golfer as well. We were going to play it during the the Northern Irish snooker there a few months ago, but we didn't make it up there. I have played Royal County Down. Um, played that a few years ago, pre-pandemic. And that was, you know, that was just off the charts good. You know, it was as good as everyone says it is. It was just unbelievable. I got there bright and early one morning. I had a quick coffee, walked out there, had the place to myself. Like it was just unbelievable, and um, uh, I nearly had a hole in one there. Funny enough, there's a there's a little par three. Again, it might be the sixth or the seventh, something like that. And it was, you know, it was like a back foot wedge, ride the wind. It wasn't that far, and it was dancing around the hole. Of course, I was playing on my own, so no one would have believed me. But uh, it was still a great day out. And then I went back and played snooker that night. It was great. But yeah, I've played quite a few um, around Ireland. I haven't played them all, obviously. There's a few big ones like over on the West Coast. I've not really been over there. I hear that there are some, you know, unbelievable courses, Tralee and Killarney and all this. Um, I went over and played Doonbeg last year during the summer. Went to Trump Doonbeg for a few days. That was phenomenal. You know, great place. Um, you know, just great scenery. Um the old head at Kinsale is, is on my list. I haven't managed to get down there yet. I was supposed to go there last year, but uh, had to go away for something else. And then I've played a few around Dublin, you know, the your 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 um Killeen Castles and your Port Marnox and 
you know, a few other, a few other places like that. Um, just phenomenal tracks, like you know, and, and Ireland is, you know, just one of those places that almost any course you want to play is it, stunning. My my home course, Powerscourt, you know, I think has, has held big tournaments there in the past uh, before I, you know, joined there. But that's a thirty-six hole complex, two great championship courses, the East and the West. You know, it, it's it's in fabulous condition all the time. You've got the Wicklow Mountains around you. It's just, you know, on a summer's day when you're there, you just can't, it just doesn't get any better. And we have some great crack down there. But the best one I've played, um, the best one I've played by some distance uh, is Adair Manor. And that is just off the charts in every way. Uh, it's the best course I've ever played in the world. Um, best golf experience. Went and stayed there for three or four days. Just the whole thing was just on another level. And... Um, can't wait to go back. Frankly, it was unbelievable. Yeah, you, you've had a sneak preview of what, obviously, we're all going to see when the Ryder Cup goes there in a few years' time. So, I mean, just explain how good it was and, and um, why it appealed to you as much as it did. I, I mean, you know, once you get all the other stuff out of the way about Adair Manor, it's obviously an amazing resort. It's, you know, it, it, it's it's first-class hospitality. Um you know, I, I, you know, just from the doorman, like I remember pulling up to the gate and the, the, the doorman there knew my children's names. They had all the facts and figures about everyone that they looked after us unbelievably well. It was it was it was just it was just outrageous how good it was. And, and um, you know, they, they, they really looked after everything. But then, like in terms of golf, like, you, you know, it's, it's probably as close as as, a, as an amateur golfer gets to feeling like a tour pro on the day when you're playing. You met by the caddy takes you to the putting green, the chipping green. It's like it's, it's like what Augusta looks like on the TV. You know, it's it looks the same. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think he's, he's he's got that irrigation system laid in. He's got the, the system where he can add more. You know, it's a bit like they have it when is it the sub air system or something mm-hmm. they call it. Um, you know, he's got all that in there and you can see it. You know, it's just immaculate. There's not a blade of grass, you know, out of place. And you go on the range and it's pyramids of balls and it's you know they're all pro v's and you're like you know this is that's pretty special like you know and um it's literally a golfer's paradise you know by someone who loves his golf obviously in jp mcmanus um you know and you know he has the checkbook to be able to you know back it up and 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 pretty much it's just he's just made a golfer's paradise you know in the in the middle of the country and the caddy takes you to the first tee the next to the first tee is the the nicest, most luxurious halfway house you've ever seen. And you come back there after nine um, and you just, you know, you stand on the first tee and all you want to do is get one away. You know, you don't want to make a fool of yourself. If you do stray off the immaculate fairways, there isn't a weed on the property, you know. That, uh, um, what I actually quite enjoyed about the experience there was, you know, when you did not, when you did not one sideways, um, it was still playable, you know, it, it, it's still meant to be enjoyed. The rough wasn't particularly, you know, um, penal uh, and uh, you could still play. Um, but then the greens were just. It was just the best course I've ever been to in my life. Um, and it was, you know, it'll take some it'll take something special to to knock that off its perch. Yeah, I'm, few, I'm sure a few of us are drooling now at the prospect of, of, of playing a day. Where else would you like to tick off? Is there anywhere particularly that you think, do you know what, I, I really can't wait to hopefully get there one day? 
Yeah, do you know, I've never played the Went the West Course at Wentworth. I've never played that. There's a few courses in in England that I've not played, but the Went Wentworth West would be up there just because you know when I got an interest in golf, I remember the match play was always there, and you know I've not even been there, so just to be there and play it. The Belfry always holds a special place in my heart. I've played it many times, but you know I think I went to watch my first professional golf event there uh, many many moons ago. Uh, and just like always have an affinity for that place. You know, it was it wasn't that far from where I grew up and we used to go and watch. And, you know, that was the first time I went to watch players on the practice ground and realised that, you know, actually, that's probably better than watching them play like, you know, on the day, um, watching how they work the ball and what they're doing. And it was just an unbelievable experience. Uh, but, yeah, Wentworth West would be up there. Um, I'd love to get to Sunningdale. I know Stephen Hendry's a member at Sunningdale. I, you know, I have, I have a a very generous sort of open invite from him uh, to go and play Sunningdale anytime, you know, down there with him. He's there four or five times a week, hacking it round. Um, and uh, myself and a, another good mate of mine, Matt Selt, another professional snooker player. Um, we're always taking the mickey out of Stephen a little bit, but uh, it's good. It's all very good natured. Uh, and just, you know, touching on other players, um, you, you know, John Parrott uh, up in Formby there, Formby Golf Club is just, I think, one of the best courses in the country. And uh, any time I get a chance to be in the northwest, I'll usually give John a call, try and take him out for breakfast somewhere and see if we can get a game of golf. He and I would be good friends. Um, and it's really nice that in snooker. There's that kind of nice camaraderie between players who've retired or, you know, in the sort of, you know, end of their careers. And, and you know, there's that kind of imparting knowledge on the, the guys coming up and... Um, you know, of course, I'm 39 now. I'll be 40 next year. I've got the the next generation following me. You know, trying to pick my brains, and and it's sort of it's a bit of a, a circle of circle of life really on the tour. But it's a it's a good place to be, and yeah, when we get chance to, you know, we get the clubs out and have a game. I, I could end this by uh, asking you about your future ambitions in snooker, but you know, we all know you want to win more world championships and more triple crown events. So I'm going to ask you about your ambitions in golf. What would you like to do? Is your name destined to be on the honours board at Palace Court at any point in the future? Or I mean, what would you like to achieve in the game? Ah, you know, I, I, I've reached the point where get, getting down to single figures was a dream when I first took the game up. Uh, getting to scratch seemed impossible, uh, but I but I managed it. Uh, and I guess I'd just like to stay there, you know, in and around there for as long as possible. But I But I've reached that stage of my life now where... I genuinely find, have nothing better in my life now than, you know, me and my mates. There's a few regulars uh, when we get the chance, when we're permitted to get out. Um, you know, we get up the club and we have the crack and we have the banter and just being out there and, and, and just enjoying the game. You know, it has genuinely got to that point. Now, I used to be a lot more, you know, it's all about how you play and I missed that shot, didn't get that one quite right. Now I just enjoy being out there. Uh, and, and and taking it for what it is, it's a it's a great game. Something I wish I wish I'd got into golf, you know, much earlier in my life. Um, but you know, finding it in my sort of mid-teens was was early enough, I suppose. Uh, and now it brings, you know, it brings so much pleasure to my to my life as a whole. Whether I'm watching it, talking about it, or playing it, um, I just take it for what it is. And um, you know, very thankful for every time I get to play. Sean, we wish you all the best for the snooker season ahead and for the golf season to come. Thanks for, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Take care.